The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Umbra Witches, and welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for the games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Lorelei and Rory of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me this week on the co-op adventure like he does every week, the guy who doesn't like coffee, so that's Coke in his coffee mug, Josh how are you doing this evening? Doing very well. Thanks for asking. Uh, one, my wife is currently watching Gilmore Girls in the bedroom. Nice. Uh, I've never seen it. What? Really? Uh, it, is an excellent, it is an excellent show. I'm not opposed to seeing it. I just, it just, yeah, it didn't seem like it was in my wheelhouse when it was originally on, but I've only heard good things. Um, and I don't like coffee. You're right. And I was going to get a coffee mug and put Coke in it, and I forgot to do it. <laughs> Uh, so is that, I'm assuming that joke doesn't make any sense to you then? No, I just assumed that you knew I didn't like coffee. No, I didn't. I, I adore coffee. But um, on the show, Lorelai and Rory, though this isn't a Gilmore Girls podcast or the Gilmore Guys podcast, um, but Lorelai and Rory drink coffee all the time. However, Alexis Bledel, who plays Rory, doesn't actually like coffee in real life. So typically in scenes where you see her drinking coffee, there's actually Coca-Cola in her mug that she is drinking. Well, it's equally as bad for you. So there you go. Exactly. (laughs) And Josh, I just must say, you sound stellar this week. Great. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, besides my my voice going, (laughs) at least the audio of my voice going is better. Yeah, so I apologies everyone last week. We had a little a few technical difficulties. I know I tried to edit them as best I could. I probably should have recorded a brief little hey, audio isn't great this week before the the show, but I didn't and I probably should have. Uh but hey, things are way better this week and that's great. <laughs> People know to expect technical difficulties from me. <laughs> I don't want it to be the norm, but just don't be surprised when it happens, I guess. Absolutely. So, hey, everyone, thanks so much for joining us this week, as you do each week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at BoardWithVG on Twitter, or check out the awesome stuff that Josh posts over on Instagram, also BoardWithVG, and keep everyone in the loop about what you're playing and what you're doing using hashtag BoardWithVG so that people can just look that up, see all the awesome things you are playing. We have recently joined Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoardWithVG. And if you have the hankering and you want to send us a long-form email, maybe it is some fan fiction that you want us to read <laughs> during a podcast. Maybe it is, you know, some rules for a board game that you want us to go over. Whatever it might be, hit us up at boardwithvg at gmail.com. So, yes, again, like I said, we know the audio was a bit rough last week. Seems like that has all worked out this week, which is wonderful. So big thank you to Josh for all of his hard work to improve things. It is greatly appreciated. So enough of the housekeeping, enough of the not fun stuff. Josh, did you get to play a game this week? I did. Yes! Who would have thought? Uh, I just, I did want to make it, you mentioned the Facebook page. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Mike Doherty for giving us a five-star review. Uh, He's our first review besides me. Uh, which I clearly said I'm biased in the comment. <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, I want to give him a shout out and thanks for uh, thanks for the love the day before the Valentine's Day. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. If you're listening, uh, just jump on and uh, give us a five star review if you think it's <laughs> if you think it's fair. You don't have to though. <laughs> All right, so I said. Uh, to the wife, as I do every week, we're going to play something. And luckily, we had an extra day for the weekend for, for the holiday. So we put the kid to bed. We didn't want to make noise in the, the gaming table. So we sat down on the floor <laughs> in the living room and we pulled out Kodama. Uh, now, it is a game we were gifted at a Yankee swap because my cousin got it and he already had a copy of it. So... 
Uh, it's something that was very rare for me, still in the shrink. Uh, the only game that I currently own that is still in the shrink wrap is Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. So that was the other one at the time. And thank you to Kevin Austin for giving us a five out of five stars on Facebook for the live listeners. <laughs> I think he's crying on our stream right now. Yeah, he is. He said he is. <clears throat> uh, so uh, Kodama is, well, first of all, the first thing that stuck out to me was a game recommended by Mensa right on the top of the board game itself. It's a small game. Uh, it's two to four players. And... The general idea of the game is you have you are basically picking a tree base. Like you start with like the stump of a tree and it ha- it's on a card that has branches going off, but they're incomplete. And your goal is to branch out your tree however you see fit. Uh, but the way it works is in the game you have, um, I'm blanking on the name, but they have words for them, but... Uh, essentially, you have icons you need to match. So there's cloud, star, firefly, caterpillar, uh, and mushroom. So what you do is once you pick your random starting tile, like mine had a mushroom growing on it, you get points throughout the game for doing um, um, consecutive matching or contiguous tiles that match the, the icon. And you also have these little tree spirits, they're called Kodama, and you start with four of them. There's three rounds to the game, and they go in seasons. So you have spring, summer, and fall. And you draw a card for spring, one card for spring, one for summer, one for fall. And as you go through the rounds, you'll flip the season that it is, and that will give you a bonus. So the first season for us was um, all caterpillars are scored as if they were fireflies. So... Now you know things that you need to look for. Um, And at the end of the round, you have your Kodama. You have four of them, but there's only three rounds. So you pick a Kodama to score, and they each have special abilities on it. So one might say, score four victory points, which are leaves in the game, for every caterpillar on your tree. So then you would count all your caterpillars, and you would score those points. At the end of the game, you will discard your leftover Kodama. Um, and now what you do on your turn is you draw from a pile, a face down, a face up tile, geez, face up board of tree branches. And, you know, inevitably they all have their shuffle. They all have different, um, uh, icons on them. And sometimes you'll have one or two or three or up to four different ones on each branch. And the rule of the game is, you place the branch however you want, as long as it's connected to an existing part of the tree, but the card cannot overlap another card in uh, that isn't part of the branch, and a card cannot go over the edge of the table, which would be the base of your tree. Um, so since we played on the floor, we had to do a line that <laughs> was equal to the base of the tree. Breaking um, the game! Yeah, and if you look at my pictures on Instagram, you can kind of see um, how... Uh, I didn't take pictures of my wife's tree, but I took pictures of mine. She killed me, by the way, crushed me. Uh, uh, but this game you score uh, frequently, so it's not uncommon to have a lot of points, which I think is nice if you're playing a game and you ever feel like you're not scoring enough or your score is low. This really kind of makes you feel like you're doing something every round. Um, you do they, and they do a clever thing too, where you can only score a maximum of 10 points per round. So you also can't just go out and destroy somebody, mm-hmm. um, by, you know, having the longest branch ever just by, cause they want you to focus on more branches. So technically I could have just tried drawing all caterpillars and just had a giant arcing branch that went to the sky and scored them all. Um, but if you do a card, that's like. A mushroom, so the base of your tree is a mushroom, and then your first card is a caterpillar. You don't score any points because it's not a contiguous line. But it, if your third card was a mushroom, you still wouldn't score any points because you're not doing mushroom to mushroom. You'd be doing mushroom caterpillar mushroom. So you don't get any points unless you're doing contiguous trail. Uh, so it, it can kind of... it. Maybe that's where the Mensa comes in. You got to do a lot of thinking before you 
draft your cards and where you're going to place them. So um, I really enjoyed the aspect of um, taking your time, especially the two players. It was nice. And the art was beautiful. And it was just kind of a fun game. And I'm pretty sure it's like a $20 game, maybe $25 game. So it's pretty accessible um, cost-wise. It's a really pretty game for $20. Not that like inexpensive games can't be pretty, but production yeah. value on it seems pretty solid for that price. Yeah, uh, for the I mean, and it's it it's a game that's easy to teach once you know it, and it's not a game that would necessarily turn off a non gamer because it's pretty simplistic in the mechanisms of the game. Mm. So you're not trying to teach anything heavy. So um, I really enjoyed it. We'll probably play it um, regularly. Uh, we I also grabbed Citadels to try to learn, but it was late, and it's so it's twenty to sixty minutes, so that's kind of all over the place for for time. It's true. So we weren't about to hit that journey, but maybe next time. Uh, <laughs> and then you can about, figure out uh, what Eric Summer yells at the way he does. Yeah. <laughs> so this time it's going to be a mystery for me because you still have TBD. So I curious. do. I still have TBD. Well, the reason I have TBD is that you know. The wife and I have, have still been working our way through the other cases in Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. So mm. that game is, like I talked about last week, it is great. It is really excellent. But, you know, when you only play it, it gets it done to play board games a night or two a week. And there's 10 cases in that and you're really enjoying it. That tends to be what you stick with. So I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to talk about tonight, but I decided to... The wife and I dusted off a game quick that we've played before just to kind of refresh my memory on it a little bit. And what I want to talk about is a simple trick-taking game, but not The Fox in the Forest, because this one you can play with two people, but definitely is better with more. And that is the game Diamonds by Mike Fitzgerald, published by Stronghold Games. Pretty traditional trick-taking game in the sense that, you know, say you're playing with four players um, from the 60-card deck, I think you would deal out 10 cards to each person. You know, the person that left of the dealer to go is they lead the trick, so they would play a card. Um, if you can follow suit, you have to follow suit. And at the end, whoever played the highest card in the suit wins. However, the where the uniqueness of diamonds comes in is that if you cannot follow suit and you play a different card, you then have to take the action of whatever that suit is. And how diamonds works is in front of you, you have a vault. And potentially inside that vault, you have some diamonds. And potentially outside of that vault in your showroom, you have some diamonds as well. And then there's a whole bunch of diamonds just sitting in the middle of the table. These actions that you take, if you can't follow suit, um, is that maybe one of the suits, you will just take a diamond from the center and put it in your showroom. Maybe you will take a diamond from another person's showroom and put it in your showroom. Maybe you'll be able to take a diamond from your showroom and put it in your vault. The reason these things matter is that the diamonds in your vault stay there for the entire game. They can't be taken by anyone. They're worth more points at the end of the game. Um, and they're hidden. So nobody knows how many you have in there. Whereas all the information in front of your vault, because you have little screens, everything in front of your vault is public information. So people might know how many diamonds you have there, whether they maybe want to gang up on you to get some diamonds away from you if they feel like you're really you know, starting to put a lead out there. So... You go around. Again, if you can't follow suit, you take your action. Whoever wins um, the suit takes those cards. Or whoever wins the trick, I should say, takes those cards, sets them off to the side, uh, and then they start the next trick. At the end of the round, once everybody's played through all of their cards, you count out the number of cards that you have. Um, whoever has like the most diamond cards would then be able to take whatever the diamond action is. Whoever has the most clubs would be able to take the club action. Um, oh, and when you win the trick, if you win the trick for diamonds, you would take that diamond action immediately at that time. So it definitely is um, is a nice little variant and change up of the typical trick taking game. I think playing it with like four players makes it a lot more fun and engaging. Uh, there are a variant rules for two players, but even in playing it with two people, um, it definitely makes you think a little bit. But instead of going just once around between like, hey, there's two of us. So we each played one card. The trick is over. You each play two cards into the trick, but you go like. Player one, player two, player one, player two. Uh, so it it's definitely changes it a little bit and changes um, time into the way you think of the game and how you plan ahead and the strategy that you have. Uh, and it's fine with two players. I just definitely prefer it with more. But if you're looking for, especially, I think it's a great game to play with parents or people who have played a lot of card games in their lives. If you're looking for something that's just a little bit different, it's going to have a little bit more strategy built in and really causes you to think, okay, what cards am I going to play? 
so I can't follow suit. What is the best strategy for me as card to play here? Uh, Diamonds is something I would definitely recommend you check out. It's very inexpensive. It's 15, 20 bucks. Uh, pretty easy to find. I know it used to be when it came out a couple of years ago. It was available in Target and things like that. I still don't, I don't know if it is today. Uh, but definitely something that I recommend you check out if you can. That's Diamonds by Mike Fitzgerald. Nice. I think it is still available. I think I see it often. Um, that in Vegas was another yeah. game I've heard a lot of good things about. So I've seen Diamonds. I've just never played it. Um, but it yeah, sounds it, interesting. It is a fun game. And like I said, I've only ever played it with people previously, other than like when I just played two-player with my wife. Previously, I've only ever played it with people who had never played trick-taking games before. So it's pretty easy to learn from that. Like if you have the background of trick-taking games, you know, obviously you'll pick it up pretty quickly. But even if you don't, um, it's pretty easy to follow suit. And if you can't, like they have little cards that yeah, gives everybody about exactly what the actions are for reminder cards. It's like, hey, follow suit. If you can't, pick which one of these actions you want to do and play a card from that suit. You're good to go. <laughs> like So it's pretty easy to teach, pretty fun to play, and pretty quick game too as well. So if it checks off a lot of boxes. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, well, actually, this was brought, um, at least to my attention, by a listener. Um, so it was recently announced that uh, IDW, a huge gaming company, um, Steve Jackson Games and Nickelodeon are teaming up to publish Munchkin Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, and it will be launching as a Kickstarter March 7th, which is right around the corner. Also happens to be my son's birthday, so it should be easy to remember. <laughs> for you? Or are you telling us that we need to remember that? No, for me. Okay. I mean, you can remember <laughs> it if you want. Okay. <laughs> uh, there'll be three editions, so there'll be a standard, a deluxe, and a deluxe ultimate. Um, the standard will be the only one you can buy in stores, however. The other two versions will be Kickstarter exclusives, um, which kind of touches on something we talked about in previous episodes. Um, so the question is, are you, are we excited for more Munchkin, especially the Ninja Turtles version? Um, and what other IPs do we think would make good Munchkin variants? And why don't you start us off? What do you think of TMNT Munchkin? So, and I haven't done a ton, like other than the very basic story of like, hey, we're including this thing. Like I haven't looked to see if there are like rules available, which I probably should have done. Because my question is, and the thing I don't know if I totally get, like are we each playing different Ninja Turtles? So there's no, nothing's, nothing is like, you can't even view the Kickstarter yet. Uh, okay. It's not active. So unless you have like one of those fancy developer links, you can't even look at it. Okay. Because that was the my first thing right away. I was like, okay, so Munchkin, a game. You know, all about stabbing everyone in the back. If you are playing Leonardo and I am playing Michelangelo, are we going to really stab each other in the back? Like, is that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> well, if you go by like, I'm pretty sure I remember watching some episodes where Raphael was a jerk to all the Ninja Turtles. Well, because that's Raphael. So like. <laughs> or Leonardo was sometimes not great That's as a true. leader they, they're true. teenagers they squabble i mean munchkin <laughs> takes it up a level to killing but <laughs> have you seen the new this is a little bit of a sidetrack and i don't even know much about this have you seen the new teenage mutant ninja turtles cartoon that exists i saw images uh, and that was enough well and then apparently like they changed the personalities of all of them so like leonardo isn't the leader anymore Oh really? Like, he's like wants to be like the cool, like fun dude, and like so they like changed all their personalities. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so early. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, but anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with Munchkin. But that's like I think my first question about this is I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid growing up. I haven't really stuck up with them or stayed up with them recently. But you know, on first blush, I'd be like I would be more interested in Munchkin if it was TMNT. But that's the thing I can't get over is like. Am I stabbing my friends in the back? Am I stabbing the other turtles in the back? Because I don't want to do that. Granted, you know, we can team up sometimes, but I don't know. Does this is this a version of Munchkin you would want to play? I'll be honest with you, I didn't even really think about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that changes my whole mindset on it. Does it really? Uh, if you, yeah, because I mean it sounded awesome and I love the art. The art's like Kevin White like Kevin William Williamson? Williams? Oh. Wilson. Wilson. I think Kevin we, Wilson, yes. yes. Kevin Wilson art. So it's like that old school graphic art, like the graphic art, the comics art, which is what I really like. Um, 
at least on the covers, at least. I don't who knows what the game is gonna look like. But yeah, I didn't even really think about the mechanics so much because it's Munchkin. Just assumed it would be copy and paste uh, mechanics. But if that's the case, uh, if you're buying it for the theme of the turtles, then yeah, it wouldn't suit the theme at all. Because you don't want to be fighting each other as the turtles. Unless maybe they make you play as the villains. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, I guess I don't know. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean... um, I don't know. And I should, I just, I should mention just because I saw it on the Dice Towers, Tom's Boring Unboxing, that a Munchkin TCG just came out. Yes. So that that's also new from Munchkin. But, um, and that's um, uh, a whole nother thing because who knows what that's going to be like. Um, but yeah, I think like I'm all about it right now. I guess I'm waiting to be disappointed. Okay. Because as as of now, I'm sold. So like, if they do come out and they they say that the the gaming mechanism is kind of like what you said, I probably wouldn't be interested. Um, I'd wait until it came out, and pe- pe- you know, people have played it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spring for a deluxe edition, um, even though that's like you want to do it because it's like you know you can only get it on Kickstarter. At least for me, right. like the collectible aspect of it. But yeah, I don't I don't really need to have a collectible game I don't like. I have I have like all the expansions of Munchkin up to eight I think. Wow. And Munchkin Quest and they just sit there. I haven't played them in years. Right. So I don't know. So this one I'm reading the little press releasing. It says that the artist is Tad Galusha. Okay, well it's an art style of. Yes, uh, but it is inspired by and it's talking about how it'll feature variant retro style coloring of all this good stuff. So yes, yeah. it's definitely inspired by the original art. Definitely. So is there another IP? You know, like you said, you have all this Munchkin stuff, but you haven't played it. Is yeah. there an IP that would encourage you to jump back into and actually play Munchkin again? I mean, I'm always up for Munchkin. I think the problem is with a game collection as big as we have and with the the, the diversity in games we have now, mm-hmm. Munchkin is kind of plain uh, if yeah. you've played it, you know? It was obviously huge at the time when it came out and it was new and there weren't many games at all like it. So that was the appeal at the time. I think, though, if we were looking at a new IP and and um, I was thinking about what would really motivate me to really invest in it again, and it's something I don't think we'll ever see, but if they could do, like, um, an IP based on, a, on the big three video game companies, and it was like, <laughs> but not all together, like standalone, so Nintendo Munchkin, Sony, well, PlayStation Munchkin and Xbox Munchkin, you have all these characters in these exclusive universes and then maybe even work out the ones that are cross-platform so they can be in both games. So you could still have Lara Croft and Microsoft and the PlayStation versions. Right. Um, I think that would be interesting. It would definitely give them enough um, to pull from for creative um, cards and characters and and stuff like that. But I think the beauty of Munchkin, at least how it started, was uh, infinite creativity. Right. Because if you've seen Munchkin, you'll never see cards like them. You'll never see characters like the monsters you fight or the weapons you find. That's what makes it unique. So for me, in general, IPs, I think, kind of slow it down. I think it kind of kills the munchkin munchkin. I can see that. No, that makes absolute sense. That That's a good one. It was funny because I was really struggling trying to think of an IP that would, like, make sense. Because just like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing, I went right away to, like, what is the situation or what is an IP where the people who are in it are constantly backstabbing other people? And there's one IP that came to me right away. Now that I think about it, can you guess what that IP is? Well, when you started saying that, I was thinking Deadpool uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> no, I did think of Deadpool, though, later. I was like, oh, Deadpool, because it would be kind of funny. Um, like, I think for the comedy and, like, how Deadpool works would fit maybe, obviously, a little more adult than Munchkin is, but would yeah. definitely fit in there. The IP that came to my mind right away was Game of Thrones. Oh, because yeah. Because everyone stabs each other in the back. Like, yeah. obviously, like, the and cartoon... In the front. And in the front <laughs> and in the side. And and yes, uh, obviously the cartooniness of Munchkin wouldn't fit there. But just as far as like you have a lot of monsters in the world to kill, 
You could sometimes team up when it's helpful for you too, and then stab that person in the back five minutes later and it totally fits. Like that isn't unusual or weird. Uh, so that for me was the IP that I was like, that would be interesting. I really enjoy Game of Thrones. So it would definitely fit there. I think another thing that would be interesting to see, and this wouldn't totally work as well, but I feel like it's similar. Like if they're willing to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think Harry Potter. Sure. You know, like obviously if you're Ron, mm-hmm. Hermione, and Harry, mm-hmm. we probably aren't going to stab each other in the back. Right. But, you know, if you push people to be like maybe that they play someone from like one of the houses rather than specific characters, um, there might be that tendency to have it be a little more okay that sometimes will help you and sometimes will do what's important or just good for us. Um, so that might be an option too. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they're breaking the mold. Maybe maybe they see the the struggle to be like mainstream and relevant again. Maybe it's going to yeah. be a different play style. Uh, but they, just, they also did just announce a not expansion nine for munchkin so yeah i'm sure they're you know they're doing a little bit of both yeah there are people who absolutely adore that game you know i haven't played it in years it's been a, many many years since i've played munchkin i don't i don't own it uh but i have definitely have friends who that is like the only game they play yeah that, that and killer bunnies like over the two <laughs> games that they always play so um so yeah so obviously if, if listeners if you have any you know thoughts on what would make good munchkin ips let us know if you thought if you are excited about teenage mutant ninja turtles munchkin let us know we definitely want to hear those thoughts and those feedbacks but hey josh let's take a turn to the digital what have you been playing on your television sir it's a big week for me tax returns filed in and <laughs> filed right out of my bank account uh we got I'm really so- jealous about how you use your tax returns <laughs> compared to how i use my tax returns what up well, water softener you have a house. I I, I do not. <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah, th- yeah. I'm still living that <laughs> bachelor life, kind of. No, you know, we, a lot of money is going to go to the little guy. Um, yeah, we could be paying off credit card debt, but instead, I got a 4K TV and an Xbox One X Project Scorpio edition. <laughs> That's like the so, same thing. I mean, same? you know, paying off debt, <laughs> buying that. I think. Equally important. Yeah, and I got I got um, Pacific Rim in 4K Blu-ray. We got Valerian. <laughs> we got Valerian in 4K. We should just do a Pacific Rim podcast. <laughs> I, would, I can get my wife on. She would do it for sure. <laughs> okay. And I actually Valerian great in 4K. I thought that movie was way better than I thought it was going to be because everybody oh, talked about how bad it was. I've so I was like, bad. yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. But it wasn't as bad as I was anticipating it being, hearing everyone talk about how bad it was. But when I got my 4K TV and 4K Blu-ray player, Valerian was one of the first movies I, I got because I was like, this seems like it should look cool on here. Let's check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. And I grabbed Blade Runner 2049 also. Um, we've only watched one thing. It was called Earth. It's like a mini series thing narrated by Robert Redford. And uh, my mind was blown uh, the second I turned it on. My wife could have cared less. She was in the other room. I tried calling her in to look at it. No, no care in the world. Yeah. My wife was like, it looks the same. I'm like, it does not look the no same. Way. Look it does not look the same. <laughs> she also, though, was one of those people who had an old CRT TV for the longest time with a Blu-ray player hooked up to it. And yeah. then I was, and she's like, it looks the same. I'm like, it doesn't look the same. <laughs> and finally, one day I bought her an HD television and got her the and she already had the special edition extended edition of lord of the rings on blu-ray she loves lord of the rings and i was like put this in right now we're going to watch this and she looked at me and she's like okay it looks a little bit different i'm like yes it does i'm good <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh okay so to games that's what we started talking about right so <clears throat> I played a hodgepodge games this week and only because I, I pretty much just played Xbox one X enhanced games. Um, so I, you know, I went into my thing to see what games I had that were Xbox one X enhanced. And then I installed what wasn't already on there. Um, cause I did back up my old Xbox before, uh, shipping it out to Kevin Austin of PSVG. Um, so it's kind of funny, uh, what I ended up playing the most. I, I did end up getting Monster Hunter World because um, I knew it was a game I wanted to try. So I put in a good 30, 45 minutes of Monster Hunter World. Uh, I'm interested. I've, I'm definitely going to keep at it. I will say this, though. Uh, caught me off guard because when you start it, 
if you're using an Xbox One X, a special menu pops up and gives you three options. You can pick better graphics, better frame rate, or better, um, like, they call it visuals, but it's like drop-in uh, textures and stuff, so better textures. Yeah, like draw distance and all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, I picked better graphics, I believe. I'm going to have to try the other modes to see if it was a fluke or not, but uh, while playing the game, the it's a very pretty game, but if it's I don't know if it's the mode I picked or if it's like it for everything, but the backgrounds are all washed out, like almost like a silk screen was put over them. But your characters in the front looked normal. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. they looked fantastic; they just looked normal. So I asked my wife to confirm what I was seeing. She agreed. So I'm gonna have to try the other two modes to see if that's the case. Rumor on the street, and this is not a fanboy thing, I promise. Rumor on the street is for some reason the PS4 Pro upgrades look way better than the Xbox One X yeah. upgrades do. And, I mean, obviously this game was, you know, marketed with PlayStation and all that good stuff. But I've heard and I've read on forums that for some reason, you know, obviously the X is far more powerful than the Pro is. But for whatever reason, the hmm. patches don't seem to be optimizing on the X as well as they could be. That's, I mean, it's... That can happen. That makes sense, I guess. Um, and you see all those like, comparison videos online every time a game is released, and yeah. they don't always look the same on every console. Um, so I guess that makes sense. But, I mean, it's it's just a small bummer, only because I was trying to um, look at the best 4K that I had, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm dry. that's a big upgrade. So, yeah. like, I want to see it <laughs> uh, in my game. So I, then I popped in PUBG because I heard... You can see the island as you're dropping out of the plane instead of just seeing that. <laughs> grass or green. Um, and they weren't wrong. The game definitely loaded faster. And I didn't have the texture and um, um, buildings popping in when I was there. I could actually see where I was landing. I could see houses before I got down. There was still some drop-in, but nowhere near as much. Um, do I think I played better? No, I died a lot quicker, but... That's because I just landed in a bad spot. Um, what else did I try? I played a bunch of games, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, I spent the most time playing ReCore, and I had just forgotten how much I liked that game. So I made sure to – I deleted my save file from previous because um, I wanted to jump right in because it's been so long since I played it. And that's I, I spent the most time playing ReCore, and – and they, whether it's the X or the remastered edition, but it's way smoother, way faster, um, looks gorgeous, even for, what is it, a, a two, is it a two-year-old game 20, now? 2016? Yeah, so for a two-year-old game, it runs pretty great. Um, so I really enjoy that. And that's on Game Pass. So if any of you guys jumped on that $5 Game Pass for this month, um, it's definitely worth checking out. And Dev, Devin, if you listen to this, uh, Recore, get on that because you just got your Xbox One X today. So I know you're looking forward to some Game Pass games. Um, played some Fortnite just to see how it looked. Um, ran pretty smooth, looked pretty good. And I got a handful of other enhanced games I want to check out. Oh, and I jumped into Assault Android Cactus. Yeah. What are you playing? <laughs> and I told her the name, and she's like, "What? <laughs> like you would get it if you played it? It's fine." <laughs> the, one of my favorite games of 2015. Yeah, it's very fun. I still enjoy playing that game. Um, but yeah, that's my ramblings about what I played. But uh, why don't you tell everyone the lovely game you've been playing? Well, I've been actually. I'm going to talk about a few things in addition oh. to what I put in the show notes because. I have a few things that have been going on. Uh, number one, I finished Shadow of the Colossus today, so I'm very excited Yay. about that. Um, like, have you ever, have you played Shadow of the Colossus ever? Yeah, I played on PS2. Did you finish it? I, you know, when we were talking about it last week, uh, I thought I did, but um, I don't remember hitting as many Titans as you say there are yeah. in the game, so I may not have finished it. Gotcha. So the ending of that game is still really weird. <laughs> it's great. Like, I think it, I think it's poetic and it's it's interesting it just i i, I appreciate the fact that they, it's not there's a lot of interpretation as to what exactly is meant by the end of that game uh so it's still great though like i still think it's a great game um yeah i'm really happy i played it again i think it is one of those things that 
I think everyone should try it, but again, it's not for everyone. Um, my, my clock time when I was done was like five hours and 58 minutes. So it's very clearly a very short game. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I'll go back and redo it because, um, you know, you can get the better sword and increase your stamina more so you can reach the tower in the middle and do all of those things. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do that, uh, but I'm really glad that I sat down and played it again. Also tonight, uh, my wife is a big fan of playing Lego games and she's a big fan of The Hobbit. So we actually finished Lego Hobbit tonight. Nice. And by finished, I mean the game is 100% complete. However, oh, yeah, so we got we got to 100%. Um, the, in the game, it says it's 100% complete. I got the trophies for 100% complete. A little bit of trophy cleanup I need to go back and do, though, to get that platinum trophy. Um, and none of it's hard stuff. It's just stuff I got to, you know, you got to get to 10 billion studs. And I'm at like 8.5 billion right now, okay. you know, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> just a couple of things I got to go clean up that back and do that. Um, so finish that up. I actually bought a new headset recently as well because, you know, I got an Xbox myself in January and I had bought a really, really cheap, crappy headset to just get me through. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, this isn't going to work. Um, and I actually haven't really played Xbox at all this month because I was like, I just don't want to use this headset. It's such crap. So I went and traded in some Switch games yeah, wow. <laughs> and, and use that money to buy a HyperX Cloud Alpha headset from... Um, GameStop, uh, this is the new version, their new uh, the next one in their cloud series. Um, I think they, they, it was like the Cloud 2 was the previous one that had like 7.1 surround sound. This does not have 7.1 surround sound. However, this headset is incredible. For a $100 headset, this thing is really, really good. So if you are looking, it is wired. It's not completely wireless, and that's kind of that. And then the fact that it has a boom mic, um, I have the PlayStation gold headset that doesn't have like a boom mic on it yeah um so i'm not used to having a mic again like i used to back in the olden days i had a headset with them with the boom on it um so i'm not used to having a boom again but i will say um since i have used this and i tried it on playstation as well and part of the reason i got it is i was looking for something i could use on xbox on playstation and on switch if voice chat ever ends up working on switch <laughs> um and this does this does that um I sound, according to everyone in my Overwatch group on PlayStation, I sound way better now. So that's yes. good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the sound in this uh, headset is spectacular. So if you were in the market for a headset or looking for something that if you have multiple systems that you kind of want to go between and you don't want to break the bank, I re definitely recommend the HyperX Cloud Alpha. It's really solid. I'm really enjoying my time with it. Um, very, very happy with the pickup and not missing the games I got rid of at all for it. <laughs> but the game I do want to talk about to talk positively about Switch for a moment is I jumped into and have started playing Bayonetta again. Um, obviously, Bayonetta came out on 360 PS3 back in the day um, when Bayonetta 2 was an exclusive for Wii U and um, Bayonetta got ported at that point. Um, and now it was announced that obviously Bayonetta 3 is coming exclusively to Switch and they re-released 1 and 2 on Switch. So I was really excited because Bayonetta, the first one, actually is one of my favorite games ever. Like, it is in my top 10 favorite games of all time. I love the original Bayonetta. That style of action combat game is just something I really adore and love spending time with. I never played Bayonetta 2 because I never had a Wii U. I contemplated buying a Wii U just to play Bayonetta 2 and then selling it, but I didn't do that. <laughs> but I really wanted to. Um, so I was really excited when they announced Bayonetta 3 and when they announced that these games were coming to Switch, I was really excited about it. Um, so far, I'm not very far in. I'm only about three or four hours into it. But, I mean, the game is 10 hours as is, so, you know, to finish typically 10 to 12. So I'm, I'm making good progress. A couple things I will say. Playing on the Switch screen when you're in handheld mode, uh, it's a little, it looks nice, but it's pretty small for that kind of a, a game, for me at least. Uh, I wish I have actually docked my Switch and started playing it on my big screen more than I ever have um, now that I've been playing Bayonetta. But I will say I'm a little disappointed that they didn't do really any graphical improvements of much. Like it's still 720p um, even when it's docked. So <laughs> which I'm, I'm glad it runs at 60 frames a second because that's definitely more important in the situation. But I feel like they could have probably boosted the visuals a bit. Um, but outside of that, it's still a great game that I love. I'm really enjoying my time with it. I've gotten really bad at it. Uh, so I'm definitely going to have to uh, improve my skills in it here and go back and play it a little bit more. Um, my plan, though, is just right now to go through, finish my playthrough of Bayonetta 1 so I can jump into Bayonetta 2 in time to talk about it on the Nintendo Shack this week, which I'm really excited about. Um, 
because I got invited to go there. I think they didn't realize their mistake until after they asked me. Uh, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. But Bayonetta, it, like I said, it's still the great game that it was. Uh, obviously, if you're not familiar with it, it's not a game that's you probably want to play if you have children around. But uh, the action combat's great. The story is super interesting because you are a witch who is, you know, killing angels. Like, that's what you're doing. So it's kind of a little bit of a unique game as far as all that goes. But, um, you know, if you've never played it or you're looking for a really good action game, I think it is definitely one of the better ones out there um, just as far as combat style. Like, that game just really, it knows what it wants to do and it goes for it. So you might appreciate it, you might not, um, but it definitely is pushing the envelope as far as its styles goes. Did you ever play the first Bayonetta? You know, I did, but I didn't, it wasn't a game... I didn't own it, so I don't know the in the context of which I played it. Mm. Um, so whether it was a demo uh, at a store or at maybe PAX or something, I don't remember. No, that'd be pre-PAX, right? Are you might. Oh, no, it's probably. I was going to say, because I know when I look at my game library on Xbox, it's there. But I think oh, it might be 360. Yeah. But I okay. think it, so I don't know if you own it or if it's in currently on Game Pass, but you can play no, it. If I you think want it was a Games of Gold at one point. Oh, okay. Okay. So that might be why it's on there. Gotcha. Because I almost downloaded it and played it again before uh, it came out for Switch, but I didn't. I, I really, I almost did though. I definitely played it before. It might have been, it might have, since it was on 360, I used to get those uh, magazines with the demo disc in it. Oh, yeah, so yeah. it might have even been on that. Awesome. So, but I enjoyed it. It's like Devil May Cry style, right? It is. Absolutely yeah. it is. I also enjoy that series very much. So I don't know if I'm going to get the remaster stuff in March, but I do enjoy that series. All right. So that's enough of what we've been playing. Uh, for our topic this week, it was recently announced that the kickstarted remaster of System Shock has been delayed and the project has been quote unquote put on hiatus while developer Night Dive Studios reassesses their vision for the game. Uh, the game, when it was kickstarted, had over 21,000 backers who donated over $1.3 million to make this remaster possible. And it was originally scheduled for a fall 2017 release, but was delayed. And now, clearly, it's not something we're going to be seeing anytime soon. Uh, Night Dive says it plans to pick the project back up and deliver on its promise to backers, but that will clearly take quite a bit more time than anticipated. So, Josh... Board games, video games, in ge- well, first off, do you think this game is ever coming out? But then B, does Night Dive owe their backers anything? And in general, what do you feel about Kickstarters and what the companies who start these things or the creators owe to the people who give money to them? Okay. Star Citizen, does that name ring a bell to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do I think this game comes out? Not... Uh, it doesn't come out uh, the way that the people who kickstarted it were promised. So when you back a project, you're given a vision. Often you're given art or sometimes even animatics or video, CG, whatever the case may be, sometimes pre-alpha gameplay. You know, it really depends on the project. Um, this specific project I don't know about, but I'm very familiar with System Shock and I'm very familiar with the extreme fandom behind system shock uh there's no way people will be happy with this mm-hmm. um to, to answer your second question uh no nobody is owed anything from from this company unfortunately that's the fine print of kickstarters everywhere you're not buying anything you're Donating to a company is essentially what it is. Probably not in legalese, but that's what you're doing. You're donating funds to help raise a project without the expectation of getting something. Now, do you get promised things? Yes, that's basically what Kickstarter is. You're being promised that you will get this. You're you're paying for this project, this item, this backpack this flashlight this video game this you know kickstarter you can whatever you can imagine is up there now a lot of that stuff doesn't get funded but you know when you have a company that has a big license like this a lot of times that gets that's funded within 12 minutes of it jumping on and people don't read the plans for the company or people don't look up 
if these people have done things before. Not, I'm not saying that this company hasn't. I'm just saying that that's mm-hmm. not something that is a concern with people. So do I personally think that these people are owed something? Yes, of course I do. Uh, legally, are they owed anything? No, they're not owed a, a single thing, and that stinks. And that is the single biggest downfall of Kickstarter, if you can even say there's downfalls to them. I would say the negative effect of a Kickstarter is for all these great successes that you hear about, there are a lot of over-promised and under-delivered products that have been on Kickstarter. Um, so it's a bummer. But what, what do you think about that? Because, I mean, just as there are varying products on Kickstarter, there are a lot of different views on Kickstarter in general. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? Because, you know, Kickstarter tends to be, you know, companies or people are saying, hey, if you give us money, we will give you this product in general. Like that's, you know, what what they're saying. You know, if I go to a store and I walk up to the register and I'm like, hey, here's $50 for this product. And I give them $50 and they can't just keep the thing. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and I think, and I get that's not what Kickstarter is, but I think a lot of people think of it in that way. They think of like, I paid for this thing. Where is this thing that you said you were going to give me by X date? You know? Right. And I think Star Citizen, man, what was that Kickstarter? 2012? Yeah. And the game's still not finished? Still not finished. Which, granted, they have put out many, you know, <laughs> alphas and betas. Like, clearly work is being done there. But, yeah. you know, that game was supposed to be out in 2014 or whatever it was, you know, and it's still not done. Um, you know, and I backed a Kickstarter that was supposed to be delivered, I think, in 2016, and I still haven't seen the product. It's um, a video game? A video game. Yeah, you know, that and- seems to be most... The cases. Yeah, I think it was last year. I think I just saw it read recently that um, last year board games became like the most successful thing on Kickstarter, both in the amount of money raised, success of the project, how many of them actually shipped out on time, like all of that good stuff. Like overall, they were the quote unquote like safest or or most uh, surefire thing to back, you know, as far as Kickstarters go. Uh, and, you know, there was one I backed today, you know, Edge of Darkness, which is a game I've been really excited about, launched today, um, you know, two days ago when you listen to this. Uh, they funded in 40 minutes. You know, they were, they yeah, I are. I keep getting those updates. I know, I've got like five stuff. email updates today already. <laughs> I was like, man. Yeah. Um, I will say I was really disappointed. I thought that game was coming this year and the date is June 2019. And I was like, oh, man, that's a bummer. But. You know, I know, and, you know, knowing AEG and what they did, I have done, I'm probably going to get it pretty close to that. Like, maybe it'll be a month or two late, but it's probably going to be pretty close to that, you know, because the board game companies that are using Kickstarter tend to, most of them, and the ones that are really reputable about it, pretty much have it done to a science. Like, they're pretty Mm -hmm. much, you know, within not, maybe not the month, but within four to eight weeks of when they say they're going to get it to you, they're going to get it to you. And I've even gotten a couple early, you know, so... Uh, things happen, you know, customs happen and, and things like that prevent it. But yeah, you know, I don't think, unfortunately, technically these people aren't owed anything right. now, hopefully, you know, night dive says they're going to go and finish this and that they will get it at a later date that, you know, they need to reassess and figure it out. I'm just wondering how, like, where's this money coming from? Because they said they burnt through the 1.3 yeah, million. Where did the money go also? Like, well, <laughs> no, but you know how many developers you have you got to pay them like 1.3 million dollars doesn't pay for very many people for a little over a year you know but where's that money coming from to finish the project then if they couldn't get a publisher on board with what they had been doing where are they going to get that money now to finish this product this project and that's more of what my concern and, and thought process is is where does that money come from at this point and then you know you get situations where okay, you've made this promise to these people who started the project and started getting it to you. Is it going to be a situation where suddenly these people who come later are going to be able to get the game sooner? You know, like, oh, we found these other people who are going to help fund it or we have to do a beta in conjunction with, you know, Microsoft because they're helping to fund it and it's going to come to their platform first or we're doing a beta for, you know, or their game preview program or whatever it might be. So, hey, thanks for being a backer. You'll get it when we're done, but all these other people are going to get it earlier you know, and you gave us money three years ago, right? Um, you know, but part of that's the nature of the business of you got to get it 
finished. You know, $1.3 million isn't enough money to make most games these days, which is crazy to think. Yeah. But how long ago did we back uh, Swap Fire? Yeah. No, I know, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that game's ever going to get made. No, that that game is dead. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, there's a possibility. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I think that that will be a long time. All right. I'll be the pessimist in the group. You can be the pessimist. I, I think it's going to be a while until that game gets made, though, for either way, um, you know. So, yeah, I, it's it's a bummer. I think – I know there have been states that have tried to pass legislation that's saying that Kickstarters do have an obligation. I know Washington, I think, or Oregon, one of the two of them, um, had introduced legislation at least. I don't know if it ever passed. Like, I don't know what happened with that. Uh, but I know that that was, was done. Um yeah, so it's just a bummer. That'll that'll cut down on the amount of Kickstarters if that becomes a thing. But if you look at like board gaming specifically, it's at the point now where a company, instead of just making a game, decides to do the Kickstarter to see interest. And they yeah. just do the regular production work that they would have done anyways. Yep. So it's not like when Kickstarter started, it was like, Kyle wants to make a game and he needs money to do it. Mm-hmm. Here's Kyle's ideas. Here's his rough artwork. Here's the artist he wants to hire. Here's that guy's artwork. You know, that's why Kickstarter and Indiegogo existed. Yep. Um, and I'm not complaining necessarily, but I'm not a, a struggling artist or a aspiring board game developer. I can't imagine it's super great for those people when you have people like AEG, like Thunderstone Quest, people started getting today in the mail mm-hmm. and they're putting out another hundred dollar game. Like you don't, yeah. you can't compete with that if you're trying to make a $40 party game on Kickstarter. Well, and I think the interesting thing too, and like, honestly, I don't know if I would ever back a video game on Kickstarter ever again. I wouldn't. Like, well, I, I had Mutant League Football and that was pretty successful, but. Right. And I have one that's coming. Like um, Raise the Dead is the one that I backed. That was supposed to be out like two years ago, but I still get updates. Like I'm still confident this game is coming out. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's one of those things that it, I feel like that, I don't know if Kickstarter is the best venue for it, but you're right with board games, the companies that are using it, it's basically a glorified pre-order system. Right. Um, and the things that are, I still get a little annoyed by, and it's even happening with edge of darkness, which like I said, I'm really excited about this game. So this is not me poo-pooing on the game at all, but like, you know, a hundred dollars for the game. They started at their is what I paid. Um, and they start like, it was, I think $50,000 to fund or whatever it was. You know, and they're like, oh, if we get to $150,000, hey, here's the miniatures we're putting in the game. All the sculpts are done. Like, you know that they they have 100%. They know or they're like, yeah, we're going to get there. So yeah. we're just not going to include it. But then we're going to say, hey, if you get to this point, we'll we'll do this. Like, why not just tell me that? Like, why not? Why do you have to like just tell me what the whole project product is like? How many? I feel like almost every board game Kickstarter, they're like, hey, we have all these stretch goals that if we get to them, we're going to do it but they fully intend or plan that we're going to get through all of these. Like none of them are really extras. It doesn't seem. Yeah. And they also say in the emails, like um, <clears throat> we never said these are Kickstarter exclusives. So I guess people have had started asking them questions about it. Right. And they were like, we want to be fully upfront with you guys. Nothing and nothing is a Kickstarter exclusive necessarily. Right. We reserve the right to make any of these things after, but currently you guys are the only ones who are getting this. Right. But we'll still get the value, which is the bonus of Kickstarter. Yep. We'll still get all those extra things, but there's nothing stopping them from releasing a Edge of Darkness deluxe expansion box that comes out a week after the game comes to stores and it just might cost people 50 bucks more. Yeah, and there have been some games that I think that I've really appreciated that they do that they're like, hey, here's the standard edition that's going to be in stores. You can kickstart this if you want to, or here's the super fancy deluxe edition that's going to have better components of everything. You can kickstart this one if you want to. This was only going to be on Kickstarter, but this is the one that's going to be in stores. Kind of like what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is doing. Like, I'm totally, excuse me, totally cool with that. That we're like, hey, if you want to be in and have this cool fancy thing, go ahead and spend the extra money. If you want to get just what everyone else is going to be able to get in the stores, but you just want it a few days earlier, go ahead and just get this other one and you're totally fine and set. So that I'm okay with, but yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting because you're like, okay, you're telling me I'm going to get, I'm paying X amount to get this thing. And then there are all these stretch goals. This game is clearly not just saying edge of darkness, any game probably going to be in stores unless you're like seventh continent 
which should be coming next month, knock on wood. Um, you know, this game is probably going to be in the stores, but what, like, what does the box store version look like? You probably right. already know what that looks like. So why not just tell me now? <laughs> like, what yeah. is it? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, no, I hear you. yeah. But anyway, I still love Kickstarter. I think it's great. I, I think me it definitely too. helps drive excitement for games, especially board games. It definitely helps get me excited about them. I feel like you're kind of in on something. Um, but you're right. I think that was an excellent point you made earlier. If you are a, you know, rookie or trying to design your first game or trying to do your first thing, I think it's much, much harder today to get noticed on Kickstarter and to get funded on Kickstarter because there have been so many, hey, yeah. this didn't work out, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, if you're a first-time developer, you're, you are just financially speaking isn't going to be able to hold up to competitive projects. And if you look at Kickstarter yesterday, I think 12 board games dropped yesterday yeah. for Kickstarter. And like they were all covered on Dice Tower News. And I was like, how is anyone going to get anything done? <laughs> like, yep. So I don't know. But one of the things I really do like about Kickstarter is, so if you're not familiar with how Kickstarter works for the listener, after a Kickstarter is completely funded and uh, the project is over, they'll eventually send you a backer kit. And you usually, you generally fill out your all your information. But they also uh, often, if it's a big company or bigger company, uh, or a company who has previously done a Kickstarter tend to give you the option to buy previous um, versions. So I was going to ask you if you got if you ended up jumping on the Tao Long Deluxe Kickstarter edition. Did you get your backer kit for Spirits of the Forest? I did get my backer kit. I did not. I debated about doing it. Me too. Should I? Did you no, do it? I didn't. Okay. It was too expensive. I know it was really expensive, and I was but like, Ugh. it looks so nice. I it really did. wanted to jump on it, and I've been hearing great things about the game. But yeah. for um, Bushido by Gray Fox Games, I did jump on Rising 5, mm-hmm. which was offered at a at a good discount right. on the backer kit, um, which is a game that I've been hearing incredible things about. And it's also an app-driven game. So right. that would be my first one. And so, on, and honestly, had I had Edge of Darkness's Kickstarter not started today, I may have done something like done that because I think I got the backer kit yesterday. Yeah, it was like yesterday, the day before. Yeah, so I actually I, canceled I, the Kickstarter today because of Edge of Darkness. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, that was so I knew this was coming, and I was like, man, I just, I just can't. Like, I really want to, but I, I have to be somewhat responsible with my money, because uh, you know I got to buy food. For my dogs, <laughs> no children, but just for you know my dogs, they're important. Yes. So, yeah, but hey, there's still you know I'm definitely gonna check out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Munchkin in a couple weeks yeah, and for see sure. and see what that looks like. And yeah, there's always games on Kickstarter that it's just it's interesting to see what people do there. And yeah, you know, like I said, video games have kind of I feel like have underdelivered, whereas I think board games have definitely overdelivered on Kickstarter. So I think it's definitely a tale of two worlds there. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So, hey, we want to know what you think um, is owed to Kickstarter backers. Kickstarter says this is a donation. They tell you that. They're like, hey, this is a donation. You aren't guaranteed anything. But should there be a higher standard? Should a higher standard be set for that? We want to know. Let us know what you think. Hit us up at Board with VG and let us know your thoughts. Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up and call it a night? Let's do it. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, as usual, thanks for joining us, guys and gals. Uh, remember, you can find us on social media, as always. We'll keep doing it till we're blue in the face. It's at board, B-O-A-R-D, with Fiji. That's Instagram. That's Twitter. That's Facebook now. And you can send us an email, boardwithvg at gmail.com. Uh one of the two of us are always looking, so we'll respond. If you, if not, you'll probably get both of us anyways uh, on all <laughs> forms of social media. Um, that being said, check me out at uh, Josh Bones on Twitter, Dad Comma Gamer, spelled out uh, on Instagram. I also do post board game pictures every once in a while. And uh, yeah, uh, Why So Serious on Xbox. I will be on that more frequently now. Uh, I didn't mean to mention, I did play uh, Ninja Turtles on Injustice this week as well. Oh, how was it? Uh, Great. Uh, Fantastic. (laughs) That was so good. And they're all different. They're all different, which they're all individual characters. So I loved it. That's good. I'm going to have to download that. I actually was, 
I was uh, randomly looking for my Last of Us disc today, and that's uh-huh. why I was like I was like, man, that's why I should get everything digital because I couldn't find the stupid thing. <laughs> uh, but then I saw Justice while I was looking for. It, I was like, I really need to play that game again. I need to down put that back in and re-download everything. And get those turtles, they're and, really good. Yeah, because I mean, I bought the big, super expensive version, so I have them. I just need to download yeah. them and play them. Yeah, for um, sure. You hit us up with your plugs, good sir. <laughs> so yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, PSN, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek. Uh, at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. I have a f- switch friend code. I don't know what it is. If you message <laughs> yeah, me, no I will. <laughs> yeah, if you message me, I will I will happily send it to you. Um, one thing, and Josh might tell me, no, this isn't happening, but I just want to throw this out there. We had debated talking about it tonight, but I want to give more. <laughs> I wanted to be better prepared for it before we talked about it. So the tentative plan next week, um, obviously there have been some horrible incidents that have happened in the United States as of recent um, and one, uh, was it the governor of Kentucky, Senator yeah. of Kentucky, governor of Kentucky, um, again, you know, laid the blame at the violence that is found in video games. So Josh and I are going to have a discussion about that. We were going to talk about video game violence and, and kind of talk through that. I have done a lot of reading and academic reading and things like that about it. Um, but I have it in a, in a couple of years. So I wanted to brush up on that a little bit before we jump into this conversation. So next week we're going to have, I don't want to say a quote unquote special show, but a show f- that's going to be a little bit more serious, focused on one topic probably for most of the show. Um, so if you have thoughts, if you have feedback, if you have things you want to talk about or you want to make sure your voice is heard about, um, hit us up. It's like This might be a better place to email. So board with VG at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on specifically video game violence, the impact you feel it has, um, and you know how our society should or should not uh, respond to the violence that is in video games. So next week's episode might be a little bit heavier, might be a little bit deeper, but hey, Sometimes we need to do those things and have, you know, hard adult conversations is an important thing for us to have. Um, So again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope you're willing to contribute to that conversation. So hit us up and send us an email. Um, If you have suggestions for other future topics, be sure to reach out to us on social media and let us know. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. has been a production of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Find more great content at PlaySomeVideoGames.com.